Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Well, Dave, thank you uh, very much indeed, and uh, good morning. Uh, It's very good to have you here. Uh, Let me add my welcome to that of uh, Chris's. Uh, My name is Ben Cooper. If you've not met me before, I'm also on the staff team here. And uh, please do have that passage from, from Jude uh, open in front of you. It's uh, page uh, 1,231, uh, if you've lost it. Um, also, amongst the bits of paper you were given on the way in, on the sheet of paper that says uh, songs are during communion on one side, um, there's a sort of brief outline of where we're heading on the other. As you uh, find those things, uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your help this morning. Uh, with what in many ways is a a hard passage, a difficult passage, uh, with some hard truths uh, to take on board. We pray for wisdom. Uh, We pray for receptive hearts and minds. 
Uh, please be changing us. We pray that we go away from this with our faith in the Lord Jesus and him alone uh, greatly strengthened. And we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I guess uh, many people, um, many amongst us this morning, will have heard of Princeton University. It's one of the largest and most prestigious universities in the United States. Uh, I guess what you might not know is that Princeton University began as Princeton Seminary. It was set up in 1746 to train ministers of the gospel in New England. And for over 150 years, it stood as a powerhouse of strong, reformed, Bible-based theology. But early in the 20th century, a number of of people who were keen on liberal theology, that is, um, theology that's not based on the Bible, a number of those were appointed to the governing body, and uh, biblical truth was squeezed out. Uh, It happened very, very quickly, and today there's very little that's Christian about that university at all. Now, that's uh, quite dramatic, but that kind of dramatic uh, kind of rapid collapse from a uh, strong, uh, strong, vibrant community uh, to something else is not at all unusual. Um, it happens very much in church families too. Uh, so for example, you go back uh, a couple of centuries, a few centuries to 18th century um, uh, West Yorkshire. Thousands used to attend the, the little church at Haworth in, in West Yorkshire. There, there, was, there was an eccentric minister there called William Grimshaw and people used to flood from the villages around Or you go to Suffolk in the 19th century. Again, thousands would travel to All Saints Church Stradbrook in in Suffolk where J.C. Ryle was minister. Uh, It was a tremendous, tremendous time. Very exciting to be a part of. Uh, But go to the websites of those churches today. And while the main main thing seems to be raising money for building restoration... Uh, What's going on here? So it seems that at some moment, at some moment in all of these different places, it seems that a a false, lifeless faith took root in those places and squeezed out the true faith. And it might make us wonder this morning, could that happen here? It does make you think, doesn't it? Could it happen here? And I also wonder, if you could go back in a a time machine and go back and speak to to those faithful saints at just the moment of danger, just the moment of, of decision, um, at, the, at the moment when false belief was taking root in those church families, what would you say to them? What would you say to them? But marvelously, we don't need to work out exactly what we would say in a situation like that because we have, in the Bible, the letter of Jude. Uh, And if you were here last week when we began looking at this letter together, you already know that uh, Jude is writing to to, to people who were in that situation, rather like the the, the other places I've just mentioned, at that that time of vibrant faith. Jude is writing to a a church family where there is a strong, vibrant Christian community we so helpfully sort of pointed to this last week, strong in the faith. Called by God, loved by God, kept for Jesus. That's how the letter begins. And we also learned that Jude had wanted to write to these people to to celebrate the salvation that they share together. Um, That's verse three. Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, but 
circumstances have changed. And the circumstance now is, end of verse 3, Jude feels compelled to write and urge them to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. That is to contend for the truth about Jesus Christ and all he's done for us. Contend for the faith that connects us to Jesus and the love and grace of God. These are unchanging truths, Jude says. These are truths once for all entrusted to God's people. Those who've been set apart from him. Those who've been kept for Jesus, what he calls here the saints. So why why has Jude done this? Why has he changed his plans when he's come to write? Why is he writing now with such urgency, such earnestness? Well, this is where we see the parallel with uh, Princeton or or Haworth or Stradbrook. It's all because, verse 4, certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and thereby deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So what should we say? At the moment, such false belief is creeping in and taking root somewhere. Well, we should say what Jude said. Watch out. Contend for the faith. Uh, That word we have here is contend. It, it, It means this. It means to exert an intense effort. An athletic effort on behalf of some noble cause or a wider group. And we can see what the cause is here. It's this, this faith that's, that's been given to those who've been called and loved by God and kept for Jesus. That's the thing that they need to contend for in this dangerous circumstance. And, and we should feel really enthusiastic at this point about joining in with Jude saying these things. And it sounds really good, but, but still we're wondering, what does, what does this actually look like? What does this contending actually look like in real life? Well, again, we don't need to guess the answer to that question because Jude is going to show us as he contends for the faith. And we'll see more of this next time in in the end of the letter. But he's going to begin by showing us what it means to actually contend for the faith. And what I want us to see this morning is that he, he does so, first and foremost, by exposing the truth about these false believers who have crept in and the danger that they present. And his intention as he does this is that as the saints is writing to see this false belief, these false believers as they truly are, they would then reject their influence. Now that's one way of summing up our passage this morning. Look, says Jews, this is what they're really like. Let me show you, let me tell you what these people are really like. And once you've seen that, you'll see it's really clear that you need to reject their influence, reject their behavior, reject any teaching they might attempt, reject their efforts to lead and dominate, take people astray. Instead, contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. And I think we'll see this morning that Jude really doesn't hold back in his warnings. And uh, what Jude is doing really is he's saying everything he possibly can to expose the gravity of the danger that these people are in. You know, he knows these people. He knows the sorts of things that have influenced them. Uh, So we'll see. Yes, he does draw on the scripture because these people have held the scriptures in high regard. Uh, But he also draws on other influences, other books, Outside the Bible, which reflect or or develop 
biblical stories or ideas. That might surprise us. I think it does surprise us uh, when we come to it. Uh, But I guess it's a little like uh, preachers today, quoting from Christian books that are not in the Bible. Christian allegory, perhaps, like uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Or even fantasy fiction uh, that's been influenced by Christian ideas, uh, like C.S. Lewis' Narnia stories. Uh, Or perhaps the Lord of the Rings, Uh, Some preachers do preach from that kind of material and and quote from that kind of material. I don't do that, but some preachers do do that. So as we look at the detail here, don't don't be surprised at Jews drawing on this kind of wider range of sources and influence. He's using everything he can to make his points. Okay, so let's have a look at the detail. What's the first thing Jude says about these people? Verses 5 to seven, this is what Jude says. Remember, these people are destined for judgment. Even though you already know this, says Jude, so let me remind you people like this have always been destined to judgment. It's been the pattern right across history, right across the scriptures. Uh, you'll see that in verse five. I, I want to remind you that the Lord, yes, he did deliver his people out of Egypt but later destroyed those who did not believe. Likewise, for these people, Jude is saying, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter if you say, well, you know, I'm one of God's people, I'm safe. It doesn't matter if you're just sort of calling yourself a Christian. If you don't believe, you will be judged. Again, in verse six, even if you're an, an angel from heaven, If you twist and pervert God's good order, you will be held for judgment on the great day. Uh, Jude's probably thinking here about a certain reading of Genesis chapter 6, where the angels of heaven take on bodily form to perform sexual acts with the daughters of men. But you see his point. You know, even if you're an angel, if you twist things, you're destined for judgment. And the bottom line is this, says Jude, verse 7. If you twist the truth out of unbelief or to promote sexual immorality, then in the end you are no better than Sodom or Gomorrah. And uh, we all know what happened to them. These people, says Jude, are saying things and doing things that marks them out for judgment. That's what they're really like. Why would you want to follow people like that? Don't let them influence you. Contend for the faith. Okay, second thing to say about these people, verses 8 to 11. Remember, in the end, they are just out for themselves. They are just out for themselves. Verse 8, they're using their dreams as an excuse to pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. Or perhaps a better way of putting the end of that verse would be, they blaspheme That which brings glory to God. They blaspheme that which brings glory to God. Uh, Now it's here that Jude draws from a story that comes from outside the Bible. It it possibly comes from a book called The Assumption of Moses, which was on the the sort of Christian bestseller lists at the time. Um, In that particular story, uh, um, there's an encounter, an interaction between Moses, uh, between uh, the archangel Michael and the devil about the body of Moses. Uh, 
what happened was this. So when Moses died in the story, the devil contested his right to an honorable burial uh, uh, because of his murder of an Egyptian. That's the story we read about back in Exodus chapter 2. Uh, but Michael, the archangel, intervenes and he asks the Lord to rebuke the devil and then the devil flees and uh, Michael's able to, to, bear, to bury Moses. That's what happens in the story. And Jude's point is this, that even though Michael was addressing the devil himself in that story, he did not condemn or rebuke him directly. Instead, he said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay, so what's the point here? What's the point here? Well, you can see the point, hopefully. That is very much unlike the false believers that are coming to this particular church. They are the opposite of that. They are Quick to condemn, verse 10. They speak abusively against whatever they don't understand, driven by animal passions to do other people down at the first opportunity. In other words, in the end, they're just like Cain from the book of Genesis, who let sin and anger master him. Or like Balaam from the book of Numbers, who for personal gain deceived the people of God into sexual immorality. Uh, They are like Korah, also from the book of Numbers, who in his envy of Moses thirsted for power and then suffered the consequences. And we might wonder, that's uh, pretty extreme. Could could there be people like that around today? A friend of mine uh, found himself chatting to a a liberal clergyman at a retreat centre a few years ago. And my friend was uh, genuinely kind of puzzled um, about uh, the liberal theology of this clergy person and um, uh, asked him sort of straight out, you know, why, why do you do what you do when you don't actually believe any of it? And um, actually the clergyman didn't deny that it was the case. You know, he didn't actually believe any of it. And he gave this answer. He said, well, you know, a stipend, a free house, a secure pension... These things count for a lot these days. And um, my friend and, and I, we, I you know, we don't think that clergyman was joking at that particular moment. He, you know, he really had just let slip that he was in it for what he could get out of it. Such people, Jude reminds us, uh, you know, they may well be quick to condemn and to slander others, especially things they don't understand. In the end, they're just out for themselves. That's what they're really like. Don't let them influence you. Contend for the faith. Third thing to say about these people, verses 12 to 13. Remember, they are empty, deceptive, and dangerous. Jude follows up on all this with a rapid-fire sequence of lethal illustrations Uh, from verse 12. These men are blemishes at your love feasts. Or or better would be to say, these men are hidden reefs at your love feasts. They're like the hidden and dangerous rocks you might find in a harbor, the unseen by ships uh, trying to get in safely. Anyway, they are a danger like that, a hidden danger like that. At your love feasts, says Jude, uh, when you meet together to, uh, to take the Lord's Supper together, as we will a little later. 
And on those occasions, they join in with what's going on shamelessly, even though their unbelief and their flagrant immorality should exclude them from that meal. They are shepherds, false leaders, who feed only themselves, says Jude. They are like clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. I guess we might not get this image uh, straight away, uh, but where Jude was, in, you know, in a country desperate for rain quite a lot of the time, uh, you see a cloud and it raises your hopes. And if it then just gets blown past by the wind, there's huge disappointment. These people are just like that, says Jude, promising much, delivering nothing. In the end, they are fruitless and dead. They whip up their shame like wild waves. Uh, they are like wandering planets, verse 13, which I think is the best way to understand that verse. You see, unlike the stars, which are good for navigation at night, the planets sort of move all over the place. No good for navigation at all. And these people are like that, says Jude. No use for guidance. Follow them and you'll wander around just as they do. And uh, yet again, Jude says, these are people destined for judgment. In other words, you look closely, you dig under the surface with these people. It's not very flattering. It's really not very flattering. You know, that person who, who sounds so knowledgeable, so articulate, so capable, you know, he's just the sort of person we need here, you might say. Well, check beneath the surface, says Jude. If they're twisting the truth about Jesus, this is what they're really like. Be warned. Don't let them influence you, says Jude. Contend for the faith. Fourth thing to say about these people. Verses 14 to 16. Remember, in the end, they are just driven by their desires. They're driven by their desires. We've seen this already, of course, but Jude wants to say it again. In fact, he says it all the way through our passage. Uh, This time he draws on another book from outside the Bible uh, called One Enoch. And actually, when we look at it closely, it doesn't really matter that it's from outside the Bible because Jude knows and the people he's writing to know that what Enoch prophesies here is absolutely true. This is an absolute biblical truth, verse 14 that indeed the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and those caught up in unbelief and ungodliness will be caught up in this judgment. And this judgment, says Jude, will come against these false believers in your midst who are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. That's what they're really like. Don't let them influence you. Contend for the faith. Uh, One last thing to say about these people. Verses 17 to 19 over the page. Remember, they do not have the Spirit. They are not actually connected to Christ. They are not actually Christian. And this is not just a warning from me, says Jude. Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. In the last times, there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are men who who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts. And here's the, the clinching thing, and they do not have the spirit. That's what they're like. 
Why would you follow them? Don't let them influence you. Contend instead for the faith. You know, you put it all together, and it's hard to see how Jude could have put this more strongly, isn't it? How he could have put this warning more clearly for us. And I hope we do get the kind of main idea here. You know, we too should be on our watch for, for people like this. You know, people who are deceivers, essentially, creeping in, sneaking in uh, for their own desires and for their own goods. And then once we've noticed that, don't be influenced. Don't be influenced. Don't listen. Don't follow. Instead, contend for the faith delivered once for all to the saints. Okay, so hopefully the, the main idea is clear. Let's just think it through in a little more detail. You see, I think when people talk about contending for the faith today, they often have in mind uh, perhaps something slightly different to what's going on here in Jude, contending at a, a very wide level, contending in the public square, for example, or contending for the true faith against false faith somewhere out there. So is what Jude's saying, does it apply to those, those wider conflicts, those wider influences on us? Well, I guess, yes, by implication, you know, there are plenty of people out there, you know, writing books or, or blogs or posting on social media, claiming to be Christian, perhaps sometimes even claiming to be Bible-based, uh, but actually, when you dig under the surface, quite, quite false and dangerous. Uh, you know, especially in the area of sexual ethics today, uh, and that connect, this is, connects very much with some of the things that, that Jude is saying, uh, people who say that because God is love, it doesn't really matter what we do sexually so long as we do it in the name of love. Uh, that kind of claim fits in very well with the sort of things that, that Jude is exposing here. So yes, we do need to be wary of those wider influence and perhaps active in those wider conflicts. But look again with me at verse uh, four on the previous page. Uh, you know, he's, Jude is not talking about people out there. He's talking about people who have come and crept in here. He's talking about false believers creeping into a church family and becoming a dangerous influence there. And in other words, this letter is talking about things that are very much closer to home than we might imagine. It might trouble us in all sorts of ways when we stop to think about it. Uh, for example, if you're a sensitive soul, you might be wondering, oh, what is, is Jude talking about me? You know, I call myself a believer. Um, is he talking about me? Have, have I got a true faith? Is that what he's talking about? Well, take note of one of the key characteristics of the people Jude is warning about. Um, verse four again. Uh, These people pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. That's a theme we've seen throughout the letter so far. You know, they're not even bothering to fight sin. They're making excuses for it. They've just sort of given into it. So if you, this morning, if you are someone who loves Jesus and are doing battle against sin, unlike these people, Jude is not targeting you. Let me say it again. Jude is not targeting you in that case. In fact, you're, you're the group he's contending for. You're the group he wants to protect. On the other hand, I do have to say it. If you would call yourself a Christian, 
But if you're, you're not actually here because of Jesus, you're here for some other reason, and you're not actually that bothered about sin, well then yes, you might want to take note of what Jude is saying here and the judgment he's warning about and be convicted about that and come to Jesus. Find forgiveness and salvation and embrace the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. Okay then, what is, what is this about? Who is this about? What is this about then? Let me say it again. It's about false believers coming in, creeping into a church family, becoming a dangerous, dominant influence. Here's an important question to ask. Is that something that's happening here at Christchurch Fullwood? Well, yes, it is a good question to ask, but I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think the answer to that is that I don't think so. Not quite like what we're seeing here in Jude anyway. And do let me say really clearly at this point that uh, we're actually really delighted that, that we have people in amongst us every week who would openly admit that they've not yet believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, who wouldn't call themselves Christian. We're genuinely glad that you're here listening to the good news of Jesus week on week. We're constantly praying that this is going to click for you and connect with you and save you. But it doesn't seem to me that, 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 that that's either that or any other kind of unbelief or false belief has become a danger here at Christchurch Fullwoods the kind of danger it was in the church Jude was writing to. So there's no need for us to panic. There's no need for us, certainly, to become unhelpfully paranoid about these things or suspicious of one another. But let me go back to the question I I asked at the beginning. Could it happen here? Could what Jude is describing in his letter happen here? Could it happen here? Well, absolutely it could happen here. It's one of the main things for us to take away from this passage. It really, really could. That's what Jude is saying here. What is reminded us in verses 17 to 19, that's what the other apostles have been warning about too. So if we were to think that we were somehow immune to this happening here, that would be a hugely dangerous place to be. And if you think about it, this is how churches die. You know, false belief creeps in, it takes root, it corrupts behavior, it begins to grow, it becomes dominant until eventually true faith is squeezed out. It's not, a, it's not just a hypothetical possibility, it happens. It has happened over and over again, uh, not just in the relatively dramatic examples I, I began with, but it's happening all around us. It's why churches in England are as they are. It's why the Church of England is as it is. That's why faithful Christian witness in many ways has collapsed in this country. And to be frank, the vast majority of churches have indeed become faithless, empty, and dead in this country. So we do need to hear Jude's warnings. We do need to hear it. We do need to be able to see false belief for what it is, how dangerous it is. And over and over again, firmly reject its influence. We too need to be those who are contending for the true faith, once for all delivered to the saints. Let me ask one last question uh, before we finish. Will it happen here? Could it happen here? Yes, absolutely. Will it 
happen here? Well, here's my attempt at a little prophecy. Uh, It's not based on some dream I've had, uh, but on the biblical witness and the evidence of history. And uh, my sober prediction is that, yes, one day, eventually, I've no idea when, but eventually, it will happen here. False belief will creep in and drive out the truth. Think about it just for a moment. Did the church family Jude was writing to, did it, rem- did it remain faithful in the long term? Is it still going strong today? Well, no. In fact, um, are any of the churches mentioned in the New Testament still going strong today? And the answer is the same. Well, actually, no. Go to Ephesus today. What will you find? Just a whole load of ruins. Has any church or any Christian institution in any place at any time in history remained true and faithful in the long term? And the answer to that is no. It seems to be a sort of fundamental law of church history. We might find it really unsettling, but it does seem to be the rule, doesn't it? Uh, And if we do find it a little unsettling, it probably means that our our faith and hope is slightly misplaced. Churches and institutions always fail, eventually. What is it that never fails? What is it that never fails? What about the faith, the truth of Jesus, once for all delivered to the saints? Is that still going strong today? Well, yes. A thousand times, yes. And that's where our faith and hope should be. Brothers and sisters, we are not called to contend for Christ's church forward. We're not called to contend for any Christian institution, however dear they may be to us. Verse three, one more time. We are called to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We are called to contend for faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we do acknowledge that we find these um, hard words and a sober warning, but we thank you for the clarity with which uh, Jude writes and the way he so clearly exposes uh, the danger of false belief uh, coming into church families. We pray that we would be those who are, are warned of that and conscious of that and alert to that. But most of all, we pray that through all these things, our, our, our focus and faith will be on the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.